Thermostats are like canceling for snow. It's a lose-lose situation. Um, someone will always be unhappy with whatever you choose. Um, so, we have been in a series the last several weeks. We have been talking about um, some of the guiding principles that our vision team uh, is determining and discerning uh, for our church, discerning for Valley, things that they're looking into. These are some of the, the core values that we believe are primary in helping us on the journey forward. And today I want to look back through some of the ones we've looked at and then move into the next one as uh, I want you to recognize that these have kind of moved through a progression at this point. They've all fit together and moved us in a direction of where it is that we're trying to go, uh, as we hope they all do, as we hope they continue to move us forward. We started with the idea of discerning God's will. As I told you, we intentionally started there because the process that the vision team has been walking through has been a process of attempting to discern through prayer, through listening, through discovering God's will for Valley together. It was not our goal or our intention. It is still not to blaze some kind of new path. But instead, what the vision team has been looking at is trying to recognize that from our journey over the last seven decades... What are some of the signposts that have helped us move forward and become who we are today? And of those, what are the most important to continue to push us into who we want to be in the days ahead? So more than choosing or deciding, they're looking to recognize the things that are there and to declare them as some of the values or the priorities that lead us forward. When we talked about discovering God's will, I also shared with you, it would have been just as easy, we put it in the beginning, it would have been just as easy to put it in the very end of our series because discerning God's will is a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual practice that we grow in. It's not something that we can just do. It's not something that automatically happens once we come to faith. It is something that we grow in over time as we continue to deepen our commitment to, being, to spending time in the presence of the Savior. And as we practice listening for what the Holy Spirit has to say to us on this journey of faith, those come with time and with patience and with practice. From discernment, we walked into what we feel like is really the most important of our guiding principles, that is the most important value of who we want to be, which is that of spiritual transformation. Really, as we talked about them, we tried a few times to try and put some words around them, and in in many ways, we feel like this is an umbrella that all of the others... Are, are covered by or come underneath. In some ways, it's a foundation that, that builds up all of the others. This is the starting point. So whichever metaphor works for you, if it's that it umbrellas everything else or that it's the foundation for everything else, spiritual transformation is what it is that we believe we are called to. This is what everything works around, what everything moves around. We want to see spiritual transformation in our personal lives, in the life of our church, And in the lives of those that we reach out to impact as a church. Those who are in our neighborhood, those who are among the nations, who at this point have no connection with Christ or perhaps do but aren't connected with a church family. We want to see spiritual transformation in them. We believe that all people are on a journey from knowing nothing about God to hopefully becoming faithful followers of Jesus. And our desire is to help them find their way forward on that path of following Jesus. 
We want to be a people who are being formed. And as an organization, we want to be fostering formation in the lives of others. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work the miracle of new life in all of us. That the Holy Spirit wants to do a work of recreation in each of us and to all of creation. And as Valley, we want to be a part of that work. We want to be partners with the Holy Spirit in bringing about this work of recreation. We want to join in that process and work of spiritual transformation. From there, we move to talking about authenticity. Authenticity is one of the hardest ones for me to talk about. I think it's incredible for us to pursue it, but it's hard for me to describe or define. Of all of these I've had so far, this is the one that more people afterwards have gone, hold on, wait a minute, help me understand what it is that you were trying to say. Help me understand where we were going with that. What does that mean? What does this look like? How does this happen? There have been more questions stirred from that one, and it's completely appropriate because it is a hard thing to try and define or describe. What I shared with you then and what I'll share with you now is true is that this while being hard to describe and wonderful to pursue, all I know for sure is it's the most common descriptive that people use when they tell me what it is that they appreciate about Valley. They keep talking about authenticity. They keep talking about this way in which we are an authentic people and an authentic gathering of church. So as we talked about the idea, we talked about there being two aspects of what it means for us to be authentic. The first of those is for us to be honest about where we are, honest about the reality that currently we are not living the full version of who we've been called to be. We're not living the full, into our full true selves. We're living some kind of untrue version of who we are because we were created in the image of God, which means that at our core, we are good. And yet we know that that's not what we always see in ourselves. That's not what others always see in us. So part of being authentic is being honest about this reality that we are not yet who we are called to be. But also, the other side of being authentic, as we talked about, is the commitment to reaching for what it is that we've been called to be. Reaching for this idea of a true self, of living into the image of Christ, of portraying the image of God that we were created in for all the world to see, of submitting to the forming power of the Holy Spirit so that we can become all that we were called to be. So in this idea of authenticity, it's that we aren't there yet, but we desire to be. That we're reaching for it, but we haven't yet made it. But in that is the reminder and the important thing that we have to know and that we talked about, that Jesus does this work. Jesus is the one who makes of us what we're called to be. Jesus is the one who does the work of spiritual transformation. Jesus is the one who does this work of helping us become who we're called to be, the image of Christ, the image of God. And yet, and this is incredibly important for us to understand, throughout the scriptures we find over and over again, Jesus does the work, but Jesus will not force us to go. So this idea of us becoming authentic is true about us as individuals, it's true about us as a church, and clearly it comes out of this work 
of spiritual transformation. But because Jesus won't force us to go, that's how we moved into our next of the, of the guiding principles or the values that we've talked about, which is that of sacred rhythms. The work that we do to surrender ourselves to the love of Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit comes out of this desire for authenticity, of becoming all that God has created us to be, of this longing for spiritual transformation in us. And we talked about the fact that these rhythms or these practices or these disciplines, they're consistent, intentional activities that we participate in so that we can be in the presence of the Savior. They're methods by which we create opportunities for you and me to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And in our faithfulness to these rhythms, the Holy Spirit is able to do the work of transformation inside of us. In our faithfulness to these practices, the Holy Spirit is able to do what the Holy Spirit desires to do because of the growing submission in us to Jesus and to Jesus' ways. Are you with me so far? Yeah? You sure? Everybody still awake? (laughs) You all shaked your heads, but it's not true. I can see you asleep up here. That's all right. Sometimes it happens. If you need a rest, take a rest. We'll trust that is exactly what God says you need as you come to participate in worship together. I'm all right with it. It Happens every week. If that bothered me, we'd have problems. In these first four that we looked at, this conversation of these first four and what happens, it's easy for them to all seem incredibly individual. And in some ways, we've talked about the individual roles that we play in this, and yet it's important for us to understand that the reason we're talking about these as a church is because they are bigger than our own individual transformation, our own individual authenticity, our own individual practice of sacred rhythms or growing in discernment. These require a communal commitment. They require that the body be committed and connected to these together, that the church be motivating this idea, be helping our people and our organization and the world become more deeply committed to these principles and these values, to this work that Jesus wants to do, that the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of each of us. As the church, we want to grow in our ability to be discerning God's will. As a church, we want to experience and encourage spiritual transformation. As a church, we want to grow to be more and more authentic all the time. As a church, we want to teach and equip and celebrate and practice these sacred rhythms together and individually. Interestingly, even as we talk about the rhythms, some of these rhythms, some of these practices, we recognize that the church, our gathering together, actually is the opportunity and the place that we find to practice many of them. Worship in itself One of the rhythms, one of the practices that we participate in so that we can be in the presence of Jesus, so that we can fall deeper in love with Jesus. So we come together and we gather and we worship. And inside our worship, we see that some of these other rhythms begin to show themselves. They show themselves as a part of our gathering for worship. It's not just song that is worship, although that is a piece of what happens. It's a piece of our rhythm, a piece of our falling in love with Jesus, but also we come together and we give of tithes and offerings. 
one of the practices, one of our ways that we worship together. We share in communion together about once a month. We serve together. We have fellowship together as we share in conversations and we laugh together and we enjoy being in each other's presence. We pray here. We read scripture here. We practice silence here. Now, none of these practices should be limited to this place or this gathering or this time together. They need to be a part of our weekly living, of our daily living also, but this is a great place for us to begin these practices together. Because we need the community in this journey. All right, so let's move into today's. You ready to go there? Today's, as we look at the new one, and it comes easily again. The reason we walk through these steps is it flows right out of what's happened with the others thus far. Is that as a family, as the body of Christ, as the church, we want to be a healthy community. It's not enough for us just to gather together, just to sing songs together, just to listen to a sermon together, just to come to, week, come to, to, be, to worship once a week. We want our life together to be healthy, and we want it to promote health among us, in each of us and of our body and of our gathering together. Here's a way that I've tried to summarize this idea of us being a healthy community. We believe that God desires spiritual, emotional, physical, and relational health for each of us so we can live as a healthy church community. Because of that, we commit to loving and caring for our church family in ways that motivate healthy, God-honoring relationships among us. If you remember from our emotionally healthy studies that we've done, we did them in the past, they'll come again in the future. Pete Scazzaro talks about in that a common problem that he sees that is alive in the church today. Let me read this quote that's repeated in several of his books. He says, the sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. I think there's a slide for that one. Am I right? I don't know what happened to my slides. Okay. The sad truth is that too little difference exists in the terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Scazzaro says this, it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so many of us try. So many of us try so hard to come to this place of spiritual maturity, believing that that's all that matters in the life of the church, and yet maturity in the other areas of our our life are incredibly lacking. If we are being and becoming the church that we're called to be, then individuals and our church Each of us and all of us should be coming more and more healthy all the time. Emotionally, physically, mentally, 
relationally, spiritually, we could continue into that. It's this calling towards wholeness. This idea that we talked about when we talked about authenticity, that we were created in the image of God. People completely whole, completely healthy, fully healed, and called to be who we're supposed to be. This is the process of transformation. Our moving towards growing health all the time. And if we're going to find this idea of health as individuals or as a body, we have to lean back into the conversations we've already had about spiritual transformation and about authenticity. Because we have to recognize we cannot get healthy alone. We may want to get there really, really bad. We may desire to get there really, really badly, but we cannot get ourselves to health on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to perform the work of recreation in us. We need to be made into a new creation. And this happens most importantly and most significantly when we choose to follow Christ as Lord and Savior and friend. When you and I are willing to surrender our lives, all of our lives, to Jesus and to Jesus' will for us and his ways for us, for his longings for who we are, for his desire to to bring us back to the people that we were actually created to be from the beginning. When we're honest about not fully being there, when we're honest about having not yet reached the place that we want to be, but desiring to move forward, makes me think of the Romans 7 passage that we looked about when we talked about authenticity. Friends, we have to be honest about our broken past and the continued brokenness that exists inside of us. And ultimately, if we're ever going to find our way to being fully healthy as people or as a church, we have to confess our need to be healed by Jesus. We need Jesus as Savior to rescue us from the sins and the terrible decisions we made. We need Jesus as Lord so that we can surrender our lives. We need Jesus as friend so that we can walk with him on this journey forward. John chapter 17, we read the very end of it, but it's this really beautiful, powerful prayer from Jesus. It's different from the prayer that we're also familiar with, the prayer that we prayed together that was on the slides, what we call the Lord's Prayer. We find that in Matthew chapter 6, or it's also in Luke chapter 11. In that prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, we see that Jesus gives us a model for praying. He was in the midst of teaching, and as he taught about praying, he said, when you pray, pray like this. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it actually says that. Pray like this. And in that prayer, we are given words to pray. Now, sure, we can use that to come up with an idea of a model and a structure of how we pray. But what Jesus was actually trying to say to us with that one is pray this prayer. Use these words. Speak this. When you pray, pray this. And he was modeling and showing us exactly what it looked like to pray. But in John chapter 17, something different is happening. This was not Jesus teaching. This was just us getting the opportunity to watch as Jesus prayed. Not as he taught other people about what it looked like, but we get the chance to read the words that Jesus prayed to God. We get the chance to look inside the desires of his heart, to look at what it is that he asked God to do, what work it was that he hoped God would perform. 
And we see it in the last six verses, but if you read through the whole thing, you would find that the theme over and over and over and over again is unify my followers. Unify my people. Unify my disciples. Unify the church. The church doesn't exist as we know it yet. It actually never exists in the scriptures exactly the way that we know it. But we watch the idea of the New Testament church start around, the, around Acts. But before that, these followers of Jesus and what will become the church, he's saying unify them. Bring them together. Make them a unified people. And he goes so far as to say unify them as deeply as you are with me, as Jesus is with the Father. Unify them that deeply, that connected. And as we look at the idea of what Jesus is talking about, when Jesus is talking about being connected with the Father, we see that it exists on two levels. We know that Jesus, fully human and fully divine, was connected to the Father in both of those realms. So first we see this idea of what does it mean for Jesus to be fully connected to God as a human? We mentioned before as we've talked about Jesus that walking life as a human, Jesus understood and recognized human life is hard, especially if we have to live it among other humans. I mean, let's just be honest, right? It's hard enough to do it on our own, but when all of a sudden other people intersect with what it is that I'm trying to do as a human, it gets so much more complicated. So much more difficult for us to pull off. And Jesus recognized that. He walked in that reality. He experienced exactly what it meant to do that. So Jesus understood that the only way to survive and the only way to thrive in this human life was to be deeply connected with the Father. So as we read through Jesus' story, we find that frequently Jesus goes away to pray by himself. Over and over again, we see Jesus interacting with with the Father as he prays to the Father. We see that Jesus, as a good, faithful Jewish man, worshipped nearly every day. That was a part of his practice. That was a part of his faith practice. That was a part of him being connected with the Father. We see him reading Scripture and teaching Scripture and memorizing much of the Old Testament because that's what it meant for him to be a good Jewish man, faithful to God, faithful to his faith and his God, to be a rabbi, is that so much of the Old Testament he would have already learned and memorized. Jesus committed to frequent times in the presence of God so that God could continue to form Jesus so that he could be formed into the most whole human version of himself. Now, some of you are wondering already, or maybe you're not, but I was as I even wrote that sentence. Did Jesus have to be formed? Apparently, according to the beginning of his story, he did. As we learn, as he moved from boyhood into manhood, that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew. He was formed more and more into the human that he was called to be. There was a forming that had to happen. This is why, as a human being, he spent so much time in the presence of the Father. But we do know that there's this second reality of what's going on in him, that not only was there a human connection, but there was a divine connection that existed between Jesus and the Father. They were literally the same being. 
somehow I ended up on a conversation this week with Emory about the Trinity. Don't do that with a four-year-old. I can't explain it to someone my age, much less a four-year-old. It just got really complicated, and eventually she forgot that that's what we were talking about, which is great because it meant that I didn't have to continue any further. But we believe as a people that there is one God and only one God, but that this God exists in three persons all at the same time. Don't ask me to explain it. I don't know how to explain it. I just know that we believe that the Scriptures tell us over and over again that God is the Father and God is the Son and God is the Holy Spirit. It is only one God. It is this one God that exists in these three things. It is always one God and always all three persons. It is God in one and three, always one, always three Again, I don't know how to explain it exactly. There's all these metaphors that people use that don't exactly describe it. Some of us being faithful is buying into the mystery that is we can't explain God. But this unity that Jesus was asking for the church, not only was this human gathering in the presence of Jesus, but it was this divine unity, this divine communion, this divine gathering that existed between the Son and the Father, that they were exactly the same being. This is what Jesus prayed for us, that as humans and this human side, that we have a deep daily connection with God, but also that on the divine side, that we would literally be the same with one another, that we would be this closely gathered. Jesus wants us to be this unified with one another, this connected with each other as we live life together. This is what it means for us to be healthy community. Some examples of that means that we are a people that are frequently together. Just as Jesus and the Father were frequently together as Jesus came to him, his human existence, but also always together, the divine existence that meant he was always God and always with God. It means that we care for one another. Just as we see the Father was pained at the suffering that Jesus walked through. It means that we want the best for one another. Jesus chose sacrifice because he knew that that's what was best for the Father, for the Father's will, and for the people that God loved. It means that we're honest with each other. Just as Jesus was honest about his struggles in moving forward with the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane story, we see Jesus pray and cry out, God, please let there be another way. He was honest with his struggles and his heartaches and his heartbreak. As a healthy community, we are a people who should be honest with one another. Can you imagine what it would look like? One of the things that was most celebrated the other day was, was how good we are at being family together. I echo that. We are an incredible family together. We are doing community in some beautiful ways. But I refuse to believe we've arrived at where we've been called to be. There is more. Imagine what it would look like if Valley were to continue to grow as a healthy community, to become more and more healthy all of the time. Imagine some of the things that we would see were true. The idea that we would walk together in each other's joys and disappointments, that we would experience those things together, that we would be deeply committed to the good of one another, even if it meant we had to give up some of our own preferences because doing so would be good for another person. Imagine what it would look like if Valley were to continue to grow in this, if we were a people who would always deal with our relational conflicts in ways that honored our own hurts, 
the hurts of the other person, the hurts of God in the process of what has happened and in the process of what is happening. This kind of people are a people who strive to reconcile broken relationships. Imagine if we were a people that that was true of us all the time. Imagine if Valley were this kind of people that we looked for ways to honor the other person because of the deep love that we had for them. It means we would stop holding grudges against one another. It means we would be more cautious about the way that we speak to one another. It means we'd stop talking about others behind their back. Guess what? Even that happens here sometimes. But if we were to continue to grow and become more and more healthy, if we were to be deeply committed to this, just imagine how beautiful it could be. If we were the kind of people who reached out to others, even those who looked different from us. If we were more gracious with one another as we disagree with each other. We asked for clarification. We allowed other people to even hold different opinions from us. And we honored the place where they were, having made up their own mind or landed at their own decision. And we did so without chastising them for what they believe or where they've landed. If we were so unified that that was okay because that didn't have to break us up or make us divisive. Imagine what it would look like if we continued to become more healthy and we were people who shared meals together, who played together, who raised our kids together, a people who helped one another when we were struggling, who were willing to share our wealth with others, no matter how small it is, who were willing to open up our own belongings to care for other people. If we were people who looked for ways to serve the family, to, to serve the church If we became more and more healthy, we would all be looking for ways to serve the body so that no one or two or ten were left with all of that responsibility. We could keep going. We could keep talking about what would happen if we were becoming more and more healthy, if we were living out this more and more. But this is our desire. This is our longing. I I think you're getting what I'm talking about, right? So I don't have to keep going in the list. But these are the kinds of things that we hope for, that we dream for. And this was the prayer that Jesus prayed over us on our behalf. That as followers, that the church, that valley, that the greater global church, no matter their name or denomination, whether they're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Pentecostal, whatever they might be, that they would be as unified with one another as Jesus and the Father are. Now let me, let me pause for just a moment. It's always dangerous when I, I try to go down a rabbit trail or something that's not exactly what I'd already planned, but, but there's a need to do so. If you have watched the news this week, you have seen reports of terrible things done in the lives of some of the churches that are connected with the Southern Baptist Convention which is a place that we do submissions partnering. Houston Chronicle reported 700 plus, I think the number is, victims of sexual assault that they have found. 200 some odd pastors or ministry folks who have been a part of that. And church after church after church who has covered it up or refused to investigate whether or not there are any problems. This is perhaps as unhealthy as community can be. 
Call it the church or not, it is not the kind of church we want to be. It is not the kind of community that we want to live together. It is not the way that we want to be a people who protect each other and love each other. It is appalling. That is not the way the community of Christ is called to exist together. So yes, we have some practical steps that we've taken to try and make sure that this is not a part of who we are. I can't say that it's never been. I don't know if it's ever been. But I know that we have committed ourselves to the idea that we will make sure that anyone that works under this roof, whether they're a part of the church or they're a part of the preschool or they're one of our volunteers, has gone through background checks. Our volunteers go through one level of background checks. All of our personnel go through a much more extensive background check. One of the ways that we do it, we also will not ever simply allow it to happen or justify it or argue it away. We will report it. We will push it forward because we want to protect our body. We want to protect those who have been victims. And honestly, we also, yes, want to protect those who have victimized. And in some ways, the best way that we protect them is that we bring what they have done into the light so that Jesus can work healing and transformation in their life because them continuing to exist in this unhealthy fashion among the community is not good for them or for us or for the body of Christ or the kingdom of God. We are committed to pursuing this together because we are a church called a healthy community. Because Jesus prayed this over us. Verse 23 in chapter 17 that we read, it says, May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. It seems to me that Jesus believed that if God would answer his prayer and we as a people would be willing to submit to the transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to work, if we would come to love one another in this way, that this unity would be a great sign to us and to the world that Jesus existed as God in the flesh and that God loves us all of his people. Jesus believed that this would be a testimony to that. This would be evidence of that. Us living as healthy community would be testimony to us and to the world that Jesus is who he said he was and that God is deeply in love with his people. Valley, this is the kind of people we want to be. This is the kind of church that we want to be. This is the kind of family that we want to be. Committed to coming together as a healthy community. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, you are good. You've prayed bold prayers on our behalf. Longing that we would become a people like no other. A community like none other. But we confess that the only way we can get there is if you do that work in us. You transform us. You make of us who you've called us to be.
God, give us courage to submit ourselves to your call, to your will, to your way. Transform us and make of us the community you long for us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.